1: Hey gang, welcome back to this week's episode of Ranching Reboot. This week we're back in the Eastus Media studio in Pratt, Kansas, and today, not only am I joined by my good friend, Mr. Kurt Dale, I've got my lovely bride, Tanya, with me, and uh, we're going to give it a shot and see how it goes with uh, her pitching in asking a few questions and and helping drive the conversation. So, Kurt, welcome to Ranching Reboot. Well, thank you. Good to be here, Mr. Brian. easy on
2: the mister with me, please, please.
1: you got it you got it well kurt no we've been hanging out uh for the better part of the day um just kind of hanging out drove around the ranch and looked at a few stuff Looked a few stuff yeah looked at a few things some stuff looked at some cows and uh now we made it up here i really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to come up and sit down and do this podcast with me kurt
2: uh you betcha
1: glad to be here i'm humbled
2: that you asked me actually i if you, if you, you haven't like run out of
1: People that will positively contribute. No,
0: I've been bugging him to have you since like before day one, probably.
1: Yeah, you're uh, you've been on the list for a long time, oh, Kurt. Well. Actually, You and Andy have both been on the list, but well,
0: we're he, not going to make you feel bad for not bringing her today. Well,
2: she's uh, teaching today. She's a busy lady. Yes, she is. Um, Science fair is coming up, so there's no shortage of conversation at the supper table. So that's nice.
1: Awesome. So, Kurt, yes. I know what you do for a living. We're neighbors. So why don't you tell our listeners um, a little bit about Dale Family Farms?
2: Oh, well, let's see. Where do I start? Uh, I'm married to a lovely woman named Andy Dale. We've been, uh, in September, we'll be married uh, 25 years. We've got three girls. Uh, I've got a junior in college, a junior in high school, and an eighth grader. Uh, My parents... Both turn 92 this year, and in June, they will celebrate wedding anniversary number 70.
3: That's wow. amazing.
2: <laughs> That's mind boggling. And uh, they, what's even more impressive than that is uh, they still live, I call it the home place where I grew up. They still, they're still living independently on the farm, and uh, I, I see them every day. That,
1: that's less than a mile from your house
2: uh, yeah about a, about a mile and a half uh, anyway I I grew up in uh, protection Kansas I'm an old protection panther where uh, that's part of the south Central School District now but or but I uh, that's not what you asked but anyway that, that's fine uh that's where I grew up I went to hatchijuco uh, then on to the K State I had a job for Three years after I got out of uh, K State, um, I majored in ag econ degrees. What I got when I left K State, and I was a, thought I wanted to be a grain merchandiser. And I had a phone stuck to my ear for about three years. And
0: gross. I
2: yeah, now I which seems like there's still times I've got a phone stuck to my ear, but it's, anyway. Uh, One day I decided I was ready to move back to the farm. You know, now I blink, three years goes by now, you know, in a blink of an eye. This is in my early twenties. I mean, looking back, those, those three years seem like they lasted 15, you know? I mean, it seemed like, but I, uh, anyway, I moved back to the farm, uh, Christmas in 95, uh, 1996 was my, my first full year on the farm. And it was, uh, and, you know, Brian and I were talking earlier about how long, Yell farms have been in the family. My There have been dales in Comanche County for well over a hundred years. Uh, so my, my grandpa, you know, started, you know, a chunk of what we have now was started by my grandpa and my dad, uh, you'll carry Dad on. He, he've moved back to the farm in the fifties after he and mom, you got married, moved back home. Okay. And, um, uh, you know, and then, uh, I'm the, there are six kids in our family. I'm the, I've got a twin brother and he and I are the youngest of the six. I'm the only one on the farm. I, I won't for a second say that I'm the only one that was interested in the farm. My whole family, we have, we've got a very close knit family and, uh, uh, all my brothers and sisters very much, you know, love coming home and being, you know, you know, part of the part of the operation. Okay, I was the only one that showed an interest in uh, the day to day, you know, being uh, air quotes here, being a farmer,
1: actually wanting to do yes. the work of being a farmer and not just part of yes being on the farm,
2: um, it, which. Which is kind of funny you put it that way because you know, where we're going with the conversation is a lot of that work I really got tired. <laughs> <laughs> we anyway we we were pretty conventional. You know I, I don't want to say we were pretty conventional uh, there because uh, my my dad and my grandpa before him they had a way of thinking about and doing things uh, that that looked like they were doing a lot of things that. Were, were conventional at the time, but they could make just about anything work. The one of the things we do now is we, we say we like to do the best we can with, you know, what we have. And right. That's uh, my dad and my grandpa before him did exactly that. You know, the, the tools that were available, they, they made, they made shit work. Um, anyway, uh, Cow-calf operation, you know, we'd raise the feeders for a while, sell the calves in the spring. Uh, alfalfa, you know, wheat, and milo, you know, the standard, yo know, crops that are, you know, grow well in Comanche County is right. what, uh, you know, what we raised. You know, and then we, uh, dad came up with an idea. He, he dreamed up a, a live bottom hay trailer and we started, you know, we got a tub grinder. And we started hauling uh, chopped hay, you know, different places. And we had a pretty decent business you know, side—I don't know if I call it a side hustle—but but, but value-added, adding value to the hay crop by grinding it and hauling it. Then I also did some, uh, you know, some custom work with that grinder. Uh, the problem is that works real like a lot of things. We, Dad, was able to make things work because he could fix about anything. Um, the problem with running old, worn-out equipment is you have old worn out
1: equipment (laughs) and you have to work on it a lot
2: well and eventually no matter how much you know it needs to be replaced you need to be more efficient and so then you think well maybe i'll do custom work to help pick up that cost and then the the next thing you know you're spending the the time that you think you're saving by having better equipment uh you're spending doing the custom work custom work to help justify the cost of it and that's where i was at when i was thinking about upgrading some of this equipment that was wearing out and i we went ahead and replaced some of it but uh I, it with i thought in the back of my mind I was like there's got to be a something better and we um you know repairs kept cost of repairs kept going up fuel surprise surprise never got cheaper it kept going up as well and we uh, Andy and I took a uh, Dave Ramsey financial peace course
1: okay Dave and Dave Ramsey is legit
2: he is I I've, I've we have probably strayed somewhat from the reservation uh, it, I like what uh, Dallas likened that at the school that shall not be named <laughs> to, uh, dead is like, uh, you, know, you you use a tool and if the tool, a certain tool hurts you really, really bad, you're going to be, hesitate to ever use that tool again. Anyway, that, that being said, we've restructured how we do a few things. And but the, like a lot of things, the philosophies and the principles are sound. Um, yes, for sure. Uh, you will looking, you know, t- in a lot of different ways, taking care of small stuff and knocking that out of the way and then moving on to bigger stuff. But anyway, that that was, that was course was instrumental in us really breaking down and talking to each other you know, about the dollars and cents of the ranch and, you know, what we wanted it to look like, what we were doing. And we're like, well, what can we do, you know, to you know, add value to what we're doing to get more bang for the buck? And so that's when we started playing with the idea of direct marketing, and we started
1: out. About when was this?
2: Uh, around two thousand five. We've been we've been direct marketing for over fifteen years, I suppose. Okay. Um, sixteen. Oh, good lord! Probably. You guys are
0: veterans, like in the grand scheme of the COVID world with all this.
2: Um. Yes. Yeah. We've. We've learned a lot of shit that does not work, I can assure you of that. <laughs> and that's
0: why you're here, right? Share all uh, those
2: things. Um, I, if, if, if we're going to need a lot more than three hours. <laughs> if I just had a list and just didn't even go down any rabbit holes and still starts telling you stuff that didn't work.
0: Kurt's list of shit that don't
2: work. It's long. <laughs> <laughs> but I, sh- I should uh, uh, say that that is stuff that does not work for us. That's a good point. Uh, because what we've done, we tried stuff because somebody else did it. By God, that's what works. Uh, we went and listened to, uh, well, uh, we, so we marked a few animals to the family first. And when they, when that was a positive response, you know, we thought, well, we finished two animals on grass. Let's try four. And so we,
1: if know, the we, family didn't think it tasted like crap, you might know what you're doing.
2: Right. if, we thought, well, if the family, family and friends, family and friends, if they if they like it, why we'll go, we'll proceed. Uh, when family was like, can you get a, can you, can we get like a half or a whole animal? We're like, okay, maybe we're onto something. And so then uh, we did it with some friends, and then we uh, went to listen to Joel Salatin speak uh, in Oklahoma City. This was around oh, this was probably oh six or oh seven when we we listened to him. And that's when we decided we wanted to try poultry and, you know, pasture poultry. And the first year we, I think we did less than, we did 20 or 25 birds, you know, for the year. So we just, um, the first Just time, a taste. And we built uh and we built a small, you know, pen like what Salatin made. You know, we uh, put it together. Well, I say we, my dad built it. It was, we showed him a picture of it, and he's like, "Okay." And then, he, you know, two weeks later, I mean, he had it was exactly what you, know, you see in His oh, books. that's cool. And Probably
1: didn't measure anything.
2: I, no, he, I, I,
1: yeah, it's a measure,
2: measure seven times, cut at once type of person. That my dad, I I was not genetically stamped with that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't <pleasant> either. <laughs> no, my, 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 my grandpa was a craftsman. He could build a, Your dad could build you know, I can repair a lot of stuff. I don't know if I can build anything. I can build paddocks, but I can't build uh, you know, cabinets. But anyway, so you have I'm, an
0: awesome chicken tractor that your dad uh, built. Y- for you. Yes, okay.
2: the, the Salatin. So the first year we used the Salatin, and it was there pretty close to the house, and it was with not very many birds. Uh, we processed those birds, and to say,
0: I've heard this story
2: from your yes, wife. Yes, say it was a shit show. <laughs> I heard bad. it from Andy. <laughs> That is toning the language down. Anyway.
1: Do we need to call Andy and have her come up?
0: No, this is probably like this this is another another show with Andy here and Uh, let her tell the story too.
2: uh, She's gonna listen to this and she's probably gonna be slapping me on the arm but anyway.
1: Are you gonna have to sleep on the couch for a while to tell the story?
2: No, 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 no. Because uh it took a while to get it done. Um We'll we'll just leave it at that. We
0: <laughs> Learned a lot, right?
2: We, we did. We that was one of the the list of things that don't work. Yeah, it's it's there's a lot of them that's involved that first chicken processing, and we we, we didn't have much for equipment, um, and we didn't there's a lot we didn't have then. Uh, my mother came down to show us you know the right way to do it, and
1: uh, she probably knew how to do it from living through the depression in the '30s.
2: Yes. That's exactly right. And in process, and, you know, butchering their own chickens, you know, the old spent laying hens that, you know, growing up that they, you know, when they had the, you know, chickens there on the farm. Well, it went, it took us two days to get all those birds done. For reference now, uh, it, you, the two, two days to do the 25 birds. For okay. reference now, uh, when we had Andy and I, and uh, two of our girls, and uh, one other person can help us. We can do uh, a little over. We can do over a hundred birds in a little over two hours. So
1: it's just a small improvement in productivity <laughs> there.
2: <laughs> yes,
3: so
2: uh,
1: slightly improve that any, process.
2: Anyway, this is one of those rabbit holes. I told you I get sidetracked. That's anyway, fine. We uh, it tasted so good. We're like, okay, we've okay. This tastes good enough. There, we could dang sure tell a difference. And so, but we have to be more efficient. And so we decided the next year we would do more birds. Uh, doing more birds meant we had to get further from the house. And when we get, got further from the house, uh, then we started noticing that what works in Swope, Virginia for infrastructure, the, it's like a lot of things the the philosophies are the same, but the method and the infrastructure is pretty you know needs to fit the environment right we were cooking those birds with their feathers on i mean we in, in in south the salatin type pens, and so we've we went through several modifications to to what we have now what we have now works we kind of have a day range system and we have a pin that's heavy enough that it's too heavy to move by hand, but it's light enough you can pull it up with a four wheeler or, or a ranger or something like that.
1: Oh, if that means it's heavy enough it won't get blown away in our eighty mile an hour winds too.
2: They, I've I, if the winds blow primarily north and south, I have had east west winds that scoot the pin sideways. <laughs> 300 pounds angler i dragging over the top of the chickens. That's, that's not a good combination. Oh, no! I,
1: that's probably a wreck every time it happens.
2: It, it's never, I've never had a pin flip over actually once. I don't know how this happened. It picked up the, the side of it and it scooted it over and then it came down. I mean, it, it's like it lifted it off the, I didn't lose any birds. The, the hell of it was the next morning, the birds were still they were huddled up where the pen was not not trying to get in where it was now they wanted they thought they're like dude where's
0: where's my house where's our shelter dude, Where's my house
2: yeah so they're all huddled up in a pile where the they're shelter used to anymore. be where, where it used to be that's right yeah. and so uh, you
0: don't put them they they free range during the day and they go in their pen at night right
2: that's right okay uh we that's a they've they've bred the brains out of those birds and they, we, we found that if you get them hardened up, they can handle getting out in the heat, you know, it with, with small doses as long as you have plenty of water for them to cool back off. Yeah. Uh, another piece of that puzzle is, uh, those big white dogs we have, they, the, the great Pyrenees, the, the guardian dogs we have, they roam a pretty good area and they, they keep an eye on things, and uh, they, they don't mess with the birds.
0: They have an alert system, an hourly alert system.
2: For the most part. <laughs> There's times that that system has failed. Because, yes, there is. <laughs> uh, predators are smart. We had a coyote that she would figured out that the dogs slept during the day. And the coyotes started showing up in the middle of the day to pick chickens off.
1: That sounds very, very familiar. That's
0: exactly what's <laughs> happening. We, just because, because nobody else knows. We have one of Kurt and Andy's dogs. We have chickens at home. And we have three chickens right now because Lily likes to sleep during the day. She's awesome at night. She patrols all, right. all night long.
1: How so, many chickens do we have six weeks ago?
0: 30 um, chickens. Yeah, right. and it, it's not. It's not. I mean, we've actually seen the coyote coming up into the yard in the middle of the afternoons while she's on the front porch, and she does. You were right when we talked about this. She sleeps during the day because she's up at night making sure nobody's in the yard.
2: Brian was telling me a little bit. He told me it was hysterical when that happened.
1: <sighs> Let's not repeat that. Sto- I'm not repeating that story on the air. I'm not telling that in a recorded I, medium.
0: I... About the the coyote in the yard.
1: About what I did to Lily after I found the coyote in the yard.
0: Oh, I wasn't here that day. Yeah.
1: No, we're That's not telling that story. <laughs> Moving on. If anybody needs a great night watchman, <laughs> get, get either get in touch with Tony or I because we have one that needs a new job.
0: Because we don't have any chickens left. <laughs> I very just hijacked your story, Kurt. Sorry. I, I know.
1: Uh,
2: nope. I know the genetics of that dog, is, and she has to be a smart dog. She's very she, smart. Uh,
1: She's very trainable too. Yeah. Just. Not so good about being a day watchman.
2: You know, I've found one of the most humbling things that one can do on any given day is try to outsmart any animal on the farm.
1: (laughs) Yes, 100%. Well,
0: I think our smartest chickens are what's left. I mean, we've kind of had this conversation, like if I can get a few eggs from the hen and the two roosters that are left and start over, I've got a good flock along with Lily because they hang out with her now. The chickens just follow her around in the yard now.
1: And they're, you know, they it's going to be that hen is one that you that raised, raised yeah. that you raised from an egg or from a chick from an egg from last year. So we've, we've got some, you know, if we keep those chickens alive and get another set of eggs out of them and generate some more chickens next year, we'll have some pretty good genetically, you know, adapted chickens to our environment. Maybe, maybe that's the theory anyway. Well, I've had a lot of things that on paper
2: look really good. So I wish you luck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> everything looks good on paper. Like every, I can make almost any enterprise work on paper, but in reality it's, it's always, always something else.
2: Roger that.
1: So chickens, we were talking about I got your chickens. The,
2: one of the, you know, the side uh, rabbit holes. Many of that will probably go down. Yes. We, so we, we started the chicken enterprise uh, for reference. Now we do, uh, we'll put, we'll probably put about 1200 birds a year in a freezer now. Um we start more than that but you know you lose them. Uh in the brooder we're, you know, there's a that's a constant learning process and you've you know you have to watch that. Um you you get along we get along much better, you know, with the pens than we used to. Uh your predator loss so on and so forth. Uh, sometimes you just you have to have, you know, storms coming through is just part of it. If you do everything you can to protect the, those birds from the severe weather that come through, all of a sudden you're getting away from the, you know, pastured.
1: They're not having that stress. You t- you take a lot of the profitability
2: away from it.
0: Well, so. in a lot of ways, like we I mean, you're stressed too. Like we lose chickens, and the first I think three or ten chickens I lost. It was pretty stressful, but after time goes on, you know, you start out with three hundred of them. You're probably going to end up with hundred and fifty or two or two hundred fifty of them, and not three when you're done. It,
2: at the at the end of the year, if we've put seventy five percent of what we started with in the freezer, we've had a good year.
0: That's I was going to ask. I was going to ask the question
1: um so i'm curious it's been less i wasn't because uh, i didn't want to make him say that ratio well i don't
0: mean for him but i just well, don't know now, in general was, i'm sure you it's,
2: know, if you're starting feeder cattle and you had that percentage that would
0: that would be, be bad right that's right that's why i was asking because i'm sure with sheep versus pigs versus chickens it's really different and yes. you know a baby a tiny baby chick is is not a huge investment
2: no uh they uh no those cornish crosses are um not that bad yeah so, uh, anyway, the moving right along, the poultry was pretty good where I mean we that was a constant learning process, but it was like a lot of what we started doing we were take baby steps back to Dave Ramsey. and we the steps would get bigger, you know, when we could economically justify the steps getting bigger. Uh, when we would try something, and it felt like we were trying to pound a, a – ra- I'm all for adjusting something. But if you try two or three different things and it continually feels like you're trying to pound a round peg through a square hole, we're like, you know, let's scrap it. Let's move on to the next thing. It wasn't – the the poultry, we learned things and, and, and built on it. And it's um, – I, I feel like we've got a – It's it's a very worthwhile enterprise now. Uh, you know, to, to maintain, um, somewhere along the line there. We also decided to add some, uh, pigs and we, okay. start, uh, we, we bought feeder pigs to start with. Uh, then we, we dabbled with heaven, a sow, uh, you know, and breeding sows and, you know, as cool as it is to watch a sow build a nest and Pharaoh out, you want know, her own. His pain in the ass having trying to keep a boar around, in the, <laughs> it's is, a
0: big, dirty mess,
2: and so and then keep them separate. And so, uh, there's, we, there's a couple of two or three different sources we have for buying healthy feeder pigs, and you know, that the, buying feeder pigs right now is a better deal for us than trying to raise our own. And and so, we, we buy them and we get them started, we get them broke to hot wire, you know, in a confined pen. And then we somewhat relatively close to the house, not I, when I say close to the house, I mean, within a hundred yards, it's, right. it's close enough that, you know, the, where we've got running water and we can, you know, the feed trucks, you know, can get in to fill the pig feeders, etc. We, we do have a, a, you know, we say things are pasture, but our pigs and our chickens, we do, you know, feed them a ration. Uh, the, the chickens have to have something in that stomach to help, you know, grind up, you know, the grit. Right. And and you're not you're talking about a single stomach, you're not talking about ruminants. But
0: uh. I don't know if that's a rabbit hole you want to go down, but I think that's probably something that's kinda of interesting that a lot of people don't know and have noticed a lot on labeling lately. When you when you go to a website where people are selling pastured animals or grass fed animals, they're they're gonna be sold as a grass fed beef or a pastured pig or a pastured turkey or a pastured chicken. And I, w- I would imagine that the common man would assume that means they don't get fed a ration. So you guys want to like explain a little bit, like real briefly, I mean, I, why that is?
1: I I would I would tend to agree with you that like I, the layperson, if they see pastured, that that doesn't always mean what they think it means.
0: Yeah, and and I mean even to and, me, like I know I have got to feed my chickens. There's plenty of bugs and food in my yard, but you still got to feed your feed your critters.
1: Yeah, they they need a little bit extra. Yeah, I'm and, I'm not saying that feeding ration is wrong.
2: And, and at the end. Of, uh, Cattle were made. We, we Our country has uh, resources. We can finish the cattle with what, what can be
1: grown, what's growing. You can. You have pivots. <laughs> pivot. You have a pivot. Uh, you can make it rain whenever you want. Fair enough. Uh, fair.
2: Anyway, uh, it, it, we also have to make money. Yeah. Um, we, it, you go know, back to the economics of it. Could I get – my hogs fat, like some people do only on forage possibly, but I would have them a long
1: time. And you'd probably have to have your own hogs that you've bred and developed to succeed under that management.
2: And, uh, seems like I've heard somewhere, uh, that you need to turn inventory a lot. And, uh, part of, that's another one of the, appeals of the poultry industry that uh yeah. those, chi- those chickens show up in seven and a half weeks they're going in the freezer and yeah. we got those pins
1: you can turn that what five six times a year well, well weather dependent of course
2: uh during if i wanted to do it all year long during the growing season uh each of my pins i'll probably run about three different groups You'll have three different batches through. I've got three pins, and I'll probably run three different batches through. As soon as one pin's done, I'm pulling it back around, and I've got a, another batch coming out of the, the halfway house. The halfway house is one of my old stock trailers. That's, <laughs> I wouldn't pull it, you know, a mile down the road, but it works pretty good to, to put chicks on right after they come out of the brooder. But anyway, uh, the – Another rabbit hole there. The, uh, the the feeding the pigs, it the same thing. It, it it speeds up the process. So we're we're hanging the pigs on the rail at uh, uh, probably about seven months on average, which is a little bit longer than I think the uh, confinement, but quite a bit less than if
1: you know you're
0: they're just eating your yard, I,
2: right?
1: Your bacon tastes better than anything I can get in the store. So whatever you're doing, keep doing it.
0: We've done way, we've done we've done experiments with your bacon, Kurt. Have I ever told you about this? No. We uh,
2: Maybe you have but I forgot, but i, I, I want to say no well, it, <laughs> because I like, don't want to I, I don't want to admit that I ever forget anything. This was an
0: interesting uh, unplanned experiment. We had bacon at home one we were cooking breakfast and um I think I had two packages of your bacon and then there was a package of some Smithfield bacon in the fridge too and I cooked all three packages and we cooked one of yours and weighted and cooked one of the other ones and they started out the same weight and i think it was three times the difference so by the time i finished cooking the bacon the finished product that started out the same your bacon weighed three times the amount finished smithville product weighed well
2: that's pretty cool i
0: thought it was pretty awesome
2: and (laughs) and probably how did it looking at the fat i mean it was there
0: well, I mean, I've gotten, definitely gotten different bacon from you guys where there's more or less fat, fat content. I, I got ends last time, which I love, by the way. Like some people don't like it, but I love the bacon ends because they're so
2: good. We cut them up into chunks and fry those. Chu- it's like... It's so rice. good.
1: I'm going to have to edit all that out. <laughs> so good. So, I'm going to have to edit all that out so we get all our well, all your bacon pieces. Nobody else wants them.
0: <laughs> so anyways, uh, I, I don't know. Where were we going with that?
1: Uh, your experiment, you weighed a,
0: we wait. You're,
1: you're getting ready to talk about how much weight is lost. Oh, he was
0: asking about the fat content. So, I mean, it definitely makes a difference. But you know, usually when I get bacon from you, it's it's marbled. It's got some fat throughout it. There's not like one big chunk of fat on one end. Right. So when it's done cooking, it still looks like a piece of bacon, and and there's just there's just a lot more food left over.
1: Well, I I thought you're going to bring up uh, the experiment we did with ground beef. We cooked up. I think it was. I can't remember if it was some of theirs or or some other grass fed beef that we got, but we cooked up, um, I think it was a 2.75 pound package that we got from the store and it lost almost a pound. Like it was over 0.8 that it lost. Like it weighed out to less than two pounds from pound from two and three quarters after we cooked it. So it's like. It's not sixty four. Exactly, It's yeah. supposed To
0: be eighty twenty is what it was supposed to be. Was supposed to be. And then 20. the
1: grass fed that we bought, it was all eighty five fifteen, I think. And the grass fed that we cooked, that was eighty five fifteen, lost like two ounces off two pounds.
0: Well, I don't know the bacon. The bacon definitely. And at this point, when we did the experiment, you could go to the store, and I could I could pay whatever you guys were charging for bacon, and I could buy bacon at the store for three dollars a pound. And when it was done cooking, you figure it out pound by pound per ounce, and it was still way cheaper to buy your bacon with the end product and the value. But nobody ever sees that. Nobody ever understands the end value of the product. A lot of
2: people just
1: look the price tag. They,
0: they do. They yeah. do. We were it, taught to because of our Depression grandparents. And I,
1: it, there's a lot like, like I was saying with beef and you know with with your pork in those in those commodity products that you're going to find in a fancy shiny label at the store. There's, it seems like there's just a heck of a lot of water that cooks out of that meat, whether we're talking about pork, beef, or chicken. As I know some people have done the same experiment with chicken where they've gotten pastured poultry and cooked it and lost almost no weight versus grocery store chicken that loses you know, 20 30% of weight. So like, that really makes a difference, and people can't just look at that price tag and, and tell how much of food is actually there.
2: That's, that's exactly right we've uh, andy used to make that point uh you know with our, with our whole chickens you know on the price of it uh people you know, might get a little bit of sticker shock when you look at the i we used to say one chicken would feed us your know, our fam well those days are long <laughs> I was when, uh, we we have we roast two of them now and there's still hardly any leftovers but uh it, it used to be you could have the one, you know, the bigger chicken that might weigh, you know, five pounds, those big roasters. You eat the meat, you know, you prepare the thing, you know, you roast it, and you eat the meat off of it to get your meal. And then you'd have enough left that you could, you know, cook that carcass down then, and you could pull the rest of that meat off and make, you know, enchiladas or something if you want to do that. And then you've got the broth where you, or you know, you combine the two, and maybe you make a big pot of chicken noodle soup that would, you know, get another two meals off that's real depression era type of stuff right there. You know, you stretch. So then you look at the price of that, that chicken it's. But all of a sudden you've got, we'll just say two meals out of it rather than the original one. And the, and the value still looks better. Right. Looks much better. Um, back to the bacon. Another a friend of mine and I were having this discussion the other day. Bacon is, out of all the cuts, and I'm not just us, but I think anywhere that anybody has, bacon is the one that every, you know, if you get that wrong, that's what people are going to remember. Yep. Um, I, you, that's probably, if you got to get one thing right, it better be the bacon.
0: I, I agree. I've been trying to sell our friend Matt on your guys's bacon for a long time, and he's, he still shops like a, like a kid that was raised in the seventies and eighties and he goes to the store and buys the cheapest things he can buy. And I cooked the bacon ends when he was here last time over the holidays and <clears throat> he's sold. He's like, go back to the store now. He's finally sold. He had he needed to taste the bacon perfectly done, perfectly right. And he was he was sold on it now.
1: Cool. So Pigs. Pigs. So yes.
0: pigs. Then what, Kurt? What happened next?
2: Oh um, we uh, we thought, well, okay. We've done chickens. Can't be too hard to do turkeys. Yeah, no.
1: Just... <laughs> What's the problem with turkeys, Kurt?
2: What, how much time do we have? Bro? All the well, time in the world. They... I'll put turkeys and sheep in the same category. That we've also tried sheep.
0: I was going to ask that. Are turkeys like the sheep of birds? They're just uh, looking for now, a place to
1: die.
2: Now, now uh, let me start with some of the positives. On the, on the turkeys. Um, they are a wonderful animal to help train young kids on how to herd cattle. Because a, you, about 15 or 20 turkeys, if you need them to go somewhere, you the, the zigzag motion, you know, like you do about back and forth behind a group of cattle, you know, steering them, right. those, those type of stuff. They drive just like cattle i mean herding. i i shouldn't say just like but i mean it was it, it we i've we
1: never a, heard that before. i've never heard anybody compared to trying to 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 drive turkeys or herd turkeys and it's like cattle
2: we we've got a picture of my oldest I, i'm not sure how old she is at the time uh the, the the problem we one of the problems we had with turkeys too is we thought well we day range the chickens we could day range the turkeys yeah no they they take off once they get, <laughs> if, if you day range them when they're too small, they disappear in the weeds, you know, and a, a bird of, you know, a, a hawk or something or an owl is going to pick them off.
1: They don't have enough brain to know to come back like a chicken does.
2: Or they'll just gather up in the weeds somewhere and let a coon eat them that night. So <laughs> so you have to keep them contained. So you, you, you grow them bigger before you start day ranging them. Um, for a while, I thought, well, hey, these are just <clears throat> staying with the chickens. Yeah, no, that, that didn't work. They, they did one year, and I think that was a fluke. That's not the rule. That was, that was a, a fluke that, that, that happened with that group. The next year, you know, they took off. And they ended up, there's a row of trees about a quarter mile from our house, and there was about 50 turkeys down there around these Catawpa, this Catawpa Grove. I thought, oh, shit. So we got them out of the, I took uh, Allison with me, my oldest, and we got them kind of out of the trees and, and got them on the road and got them in one group. And I gave her the, pulled the rattle paddle out of the back of the pickup. I said, just keep heading them towards the house. And in about 10 minutes, she had them walk back up the road and in the yard where they needed to be.
0: That's awesome. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so luckily they got back, so they could. I wish oh, you
0: could video and stuff like this. Well, <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> we got them home, so they could shit all over our porch again that night. <laughs> That's another thing that we they, they would they would roost on our porch. Oh, that made me so mad. Oh, anyway, I bet so, they're
0: worse than the chickens. They're probably huge.
2: So we so we said okay, but turkeys sell.
0: Yeah, and they're not cheap.
1: Uh, no. I no. I imagine if you have your turkeys time to wear your you're harvesting in November that's you're getting a lot more of a premium than you are for anything else. You
2: know, it's funny you should mention that Brian. <laughs> we also thought, Oh, people want, they'll pay for the fresh turkeys and people say, yeah, we want a fresh. So you would, you, we phrased it like, would you like, yeah, we want a fresh Turkey. And so we thought, so we timed it. So we would, the first, uh, first year we did turkeys, we timed it. So we'd have the turkeys, um. Well, we started them way too soon, and these turkeys were huge. And I when got,
0: it, I think we got one of these turkeys, oh, uh, the
2: the biggest one weighed thirty pounds Dress. <laughs> oh <laughs>
3: my big god! Turkeys. And, Gosh.
2: Yeah. Well, let me tell you, we so, well what we were using at that time for our chickens. This is before we have our equipment. Now we uh, we had a turkey fryer that we were putting our chickens into. It's called okay. And so I thought, well, it's a turkey fryer. It makes sense that we could, you know, scald you know, our turkeys.
1: Sure. You should be able to put a turkey in a turkey fryer, right?
2: Um, you used to be in the Navy. I'm sure you're familiar with water displacement. Yes. <laughs> a, Go, on. Go on. A very large turkey put in a scalding pot only – we put it in. I mean, all the water came to scald it. All the water is supposed to scald it. Just put out the came out. Just put there. out the fire. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. So we it was. We thought. Well, so we went to plan B. We finally, we we finally got these. I think we only had fifteen turkeys that first year. We finally that got was them a dressed. Long day though. Oh God, it was. Uh, it was. But and you know it was the same deal that tasted so good. We thought, okay, we've got to figure out how to do this better. Um, actually, I think the year Allison brought him home might've been the next year or a year after that, but somewhere around year three or four of turkeys, uh, is we started using the electric netting poultry netting, and that made a big difference. Um, and I, as much as I hate the phrase game changer, that's <laughs> what it was. Um, and he, we, we I had a way of a system I've used the old uh, stock trailers for the turkeys to roost in okay and then I could move it around and I'd set that netting up and I'd you know give them a run about it and we'd move about once a I would I'd like to say once a week sometimes a week had 14 days but anyway we would we when they ran out of
1: sometimes it, my daily moves are three days
2: I yes uh anyway we would they would get moved though on a, on, on some kind of a basis. Um, and that worked good. The last, we, we did not do any turkeys this year though. We, that is one of the enterprise. There's several reasons, but, uh, Andy went back to classroom several years ago and that by all means is where she needs to be. Uh, but we're, when we are processing the turkeys in the fall, Oh, time out on this. Another thing. <laughs> Back to the uh, people said, yeah, we want fresh. You know what they were doing with their fresh turkeys? Put them in the Putting damn- them in the freezer. Putting them in a the dang freezer. <laughs> and we're like, well, sh- we could freeze them. We and could. not
3: do
0: 15 and, all and, in and one day.
2: In November when it's 20 degrees. So we started t- changing our time. And you know what? When we did them about five weeks sooner, they weren't near as big. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, the, the, timing worked out. So when we needed to process turkeys, Andy was back in school. And so I thought, well, I can do them. My, you know, of course over a couple of days I can do, you know, 15 or 20 turkeys by myself. If you, chickens aren't, aren't any problem, you know, handling, getting them into kilco et cetera, et cetera.
1: Cause they're, you know, four or five pound bird.
2: Yeah, a little bit more than that alive. Okay. The turkey, imagine uh, picking up a feed sack and the feed sack's beating you with a set of wings trying to get away from you.
0: We had uh, some big chicken. The first, the first three chickens I butchered this year weighed like 20 pounds apiece. They were re- like ridiculous huge. And one person holding those chickens up. One person holding those chickens up with a kill cone that was too small was a bad deal. Yeah, I can't yeah, even imagine what yeah, it was so, like with
2: the turkeys. So I was, I was handling these turkeys, and um, it was work. Uh, usually like the last – I wouldn't do all of them. There would usually be some that we'd do on a on a Friday or Saturday when I'd have some help. And uh, we got all of them done. Um, I had a, oh, a little hiccup in the health department this year, and uh, we decided that uh, – Sometimes all you can do is all you can do, and there had to be some things that needed to not be done. And that was one of the enterprises that we decided to not do. Uh, but we carry, whenever we had, one year, I think we put over, the most we did one year, we put, oh, gosh, there's was like 110 or 120 we put in the freezer. And, wow. And I think we had four or five that we carried over, I mean, that, that we didn't sell by Christmas and the remaining that we had, you know, we went ahead and cooked those ourselves, or I think we probably had somebody buy one or two later on, you know, we made them a deal on so we could move it. Uh, the problem also you get that it's not like packages of meat that are square. Those things are round, right? (laughs) They're and awkward, they don't stack. It's, it's hard to get them you know stacked up in the freezer take
0: uh, a lot of space up for sure Not yes something you want to hold over for a long time
2: right and so anyway we uh uh we hit i'll say we hit pause because mrs dale might listen to this i don't say we, we'll say we <laughs> i if uh if we can figure out the logistics of getting uh, of hiring the uh the processing done uh we may very well uh, and and I could tweak my infrastructure uh, a little bit more. Uh, we may very well, you'll bring turkeys back sometime, but...
0: Well, you, you bring up processing. I was going to ask about that. Um, haven't talked about help. Do you guys have help? Do you use help? Do you hire people at all? Or are all of these things that you guys have done been done with you and Andy and the kids and your family mostly?
2: We have some wonderful friends that help us out on processing day. Um, You the husband will come over and he'll help out with the killing. And then uh, his wife will come over and help out. You know, when we, uh, you'll put them in the freezer. Uh, Whether we're putting the whole birds in or whether we're cutting up and, you will putting parts in the freezer. Um, That's where the man hours really start stacking up. Yeah. And uh, we've got, uh, a lot of this stuff works really well right now because we've got uh, you know two girls at home that was it, why i was
0: going there because i know that allison's not at home you guys have a, one less set of hands right now and has that affected
2: uh, yeah the, she left but the youngest has stepped up and does a lot more um my youngest girl all my daughters are good help yeah um i i've had a number that we're getting off on another rabbit trail here uh
1: chase that rabbit
2: uh, I, well, I'm going to compliment my daughters. I've had a number of teenage boys help me over the years. Um, some of them have been awfully good hands. Uh, but um, I I would put my daughters up against any of them in the work department. I would um,
0: second that with your girls and our girl and oftentimes girls in general.
2: Well, I Allison has, Allison and I could go out and move a group of cattle. Um, yeah, you know, we quit leading them with the, you know, caker You a long time ago. Her and I could go out and and herd the group, and they stay paired up better if you're if we're herding them rather than trying to lead them. Uh, So if you
1: call them with a feed wagon, those cows will run off and leave that calf wherever he was.
2: uh, And and if if we're taking our time and herding them, you know every little bit they're stopping and balling and making sure that calf's with them. And it's when we're especially if we're moving pairs, you across the road, Um, but. Allison Hadaway has because you know she helps me time to time when she comes home, uh, and and Anna is there too. My youngest, my middle girl, she has a lot of gifts. Handling livestock is not one of them, and so we found other places to uh, utilize her, uh, but. Uh,
1: that's fair. I don't think everybody has it in them to be a great stockman Brian or a just said patient that stockman.
0: He said last night to me, "I don't think everybody's supposed to move
2: caps. Uh, no, no. Some people do anyway, but they probably should. <laughs> I agree with that also. That is <laughs> but, very true. Uh, now we,
3: uh,
2: anyway, my girls. We start. You, you asked about the processing, and I got sidetracked talking about the help, but you know, in handling stock, and anyway, they. Um, they do a tremendous job of helping, uh, You move, whether we're moving cattle or moving chickens or whatever. They're, those jobs, some of them are not their favorite, but uh, I think it makes them, uh, I, I'm finding with my oldest that some of those nasty jobs that she's had, she did growing up, like cleaning out the brooder or stock trailer, they truly do build character, and they, they give you a reference point for Absolutely. You know, what else there is to do?
0: Absolutely.
2: Uh, processing day. Uh, yeah, we've, we 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 usually we try to start early in the morning before it gets hot. We get them chilled. We get them on ice. Uh, I say we. You usually we'll, we'll do groups for our setup. Uh, you're know, killing and getting in the chill tank. You're right around a hundred. We've done a hundred. I one time we did hundred and fifty. That was too many at one time. Somewhere between 100 and 120 is about the top side of what we can, you know, live birds that we can, for our how we're set up right now, what we can do. Um, And then uh, usually we get those chilling, you know, on on water. And then in the afternoon, then uh, we'll either, you know, we'll package them up, you know, get them in the freezer. uh, Or we go ahead and get them cut up, you know, and get the parts you vacuum sealed, you know, labeled, et cetera, et cetera, and, and in, the, in the walk-in freezers. So um, we have, it takes…
1: And that's just poultry you're processing on site, right?
2: Yes. Um, yes. If we're under a federal exemption where we can process, if it's got feathers under up to a certain limit we can process and sell, we can deliver. We're under federal exemption. There's a state exemption. If you're under that, they have to pick it up on the farm. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know why it all works the way it does.
1: Rules. Food police. Yeah,
2: food police. But it does, and so we we try to to dot our I's and cross the t's the best we can. Yeah, um, uh, processing. We, yeah, we get that's the normal processing day, and then we back-to-back days suck so we usually do if we like do a group on Monday we try to not turn around and do another group on Tuesday we try to maybe wait and do it on Wednesday and uh, um, I can see where you know cutting the you'll cut especially cutting that many birds up Andy she goes fast cutting those things up she is scary fast with a very sharp knife
1: <laughs> but uh, stay out of her way mental note.
2: But I can also see where a carpal tunnel, because it was.
0: It's hard where, work. It's super hard work cutting a chicken up is.
2: Consistently, yes. <clears throat> I've tried it. She cut her, I think she has only cut her thumb once. And then I started, you know, it was a couple of years ago. We had a lot of them to do that day. And after I did like three of them, she's like. Move over. <laughs> she <laughs> wrapped her thumb up and worked with like one hand, I think. You're too slow, honey. Sorry. I, I was terribly when, slow. When you
0: know how to do something and you've got the muscle memory, it doesn't really matter whether your thumb's bleeding or not. You just put a glove on and go. Yeah, away.
2: Yeah. No, it was, for the record, she did not bleed all over product. It That's was, good. That's uh, good. That's yeah. good. <laughs> Those birds are all gone by now, anyway.
0: So. <laughs> Everybody's fine.
1: So we've talked about your chickens. Yes. We've talked about the turkey experiment. Yes. We've talked about pigs. Yes. We haven't even talked about sheep, goats, or cows.
2: We, uh, goat, we'll have goats as long as my daughters have a 4-H project, and that is about as many goats as I, I care to have. Um, we can keep goats in when they are on the smoker <laughs> or in the freezer. <laughs> sheep or a close second place in that I, sheep are one of those things. I thought that God, you know, on paper and I, and I even penciled out, you know, we're going to start with this many, we'll keep this many, you know, we're going to, you know, inch it up. The hell of it is it takes as long to, to take care of 30 as it does 530. I mean, there's, if one does something they're all well, I probably, and it's like a lot of things, it goes back to management. Um, I probably, I thought I, and, and like also a lot of things, you can read all you want, but the real learning doesn't start until you get the critter on the place. Right. And, and uh, that goes back to being humbled. And uh, nothing worked out like it's supposed to. I mean, they, I they're supposed to be getting shocked and be terrified of that net. They're not supposed to be running through it and tracking it all over. They're they're supposed to be doing this. And this. The book
1: says you when you hit that it's going to hurt. Why are you running through it? Didn't you read the book?
2: Uh, well, we we had them around for about two years, and uh, and I decided that. Well, and also it you'll know, in retrospect like if I still had them. I probably we would direct market a small percentage of them because the amount of meat that you get uh, from uh, from live weight of a, a lamb carcass is, is, is really pretty low. I mean, it's like about 25% of the live weight. And so then you, you look at an almost 300 pound lambs bringing, or almost a hundred pound lambs bringing almost $300, you know, live weight. And then you figure what you know, you'd have to pay for processing, get them to the processor. And then what that, you'll pencils out to on a per pound price. And then you're comparing that to, then you look at that per pound price. And now it's not necessarily apples to apples, but it's back to the, you know, the the sticker shock. You look at a pound of ground beef versus a pound of ground lamb and, uh, or, uh, you'll, you know a a tiny little package of uh, lamb chops compared to a, you know, a ribeye steak. Right. And, and, The money you'd need to to make it worth your time to handle that, it was going to be a hard sell. I mean, I love, as far as eating it, you know, properly prepared lamb chop is very pleasing to the palate, I think. My daughter makes fun of me because she's heard this speech a lot of times. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, and we did not, we weren't moving as much lamb as we thought
1: you were trying to sell it processed, like you were trying to sell cuts or were you trying to sell we, we, a carcass?
2: We thought we'd be able to sell cuts. We thought we'd be able, it was, we thought, you know, this is something enough different. You know, we, you know, certain places we would, live, we'd be able, we'd really be able to move the
0: cuts. Can I, before you go on, when, when did you guys have, what year were you guys doing sheep in, around roundabout anyways?
2: I think it was about five years ago, four, yeah. four or five years ago, we got, got the first.
0: 16, 15, 16, 17, something like that.
2: I'll tell you when it was, it was when my, is my. I remember this because this was – I stopped to watch – my daughter played softball her senior year, okay? I went to get these sheep, and I was going to watch her softball game on the way home from getting the sheep. And I was supposed to watch a doubleheader. Well, I had pickup problems, and I can only drive my pickup about 50 mile an hour on the way home from getting the sheep. And I ended up having to leave the pickup, and another guy let me use his pickup to go on home, and I stopped. So that would have been uh, 2009 – as' 18 is three years ago. Okay. okay. Is that? No, it, Yeah, it is 22, 2019. Four. So it's three or four years ago, I think. So it seems like a lot longer, but well, it does wasn't. it
0: COVID has changed the way a lot of things work in general. Like as far as marketing goes, that's why I was asking. Cause I think probably even now sheep would maybe look different than they would have two or three years ago, but everything looked different yeah. in 18 than it does in 22.
2: Oh, well, know, um, we used to be able to also, uh, if we ended up with, you know, something, an extra animal or something, we'd call the processor and say, Hey, can you fit, um, if I bring extra, animal?
0: bring, bring seven instead of five, can right. you do an extra? Yeah. There's yeah. none of that now. I bet yeah,
1: that's no. probably going to be a no today.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's probably going to be a no today for a year from now. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, that's another discussion we just about touched on. But anyway, uh, you know, the processing dates it, being able to just call up and get something in a hurry is that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. I, I just sorted off 12 yesterday that I've, I found a buyer for And I, somebody was asking me yesterday, well, why don't you just throw one in the grinder? Like, okay, find somewhere for me to take one on five days notice. Like that, that's just not going to happen.
2: Yeah.
0: No, you'd probably just as soon build your own processing plant to be completely
3: honest at this point. <laughs>
2: I what? looked, at, they have this thing called a, uh, is it a plant in a box processing? I can't remember who's putting it out. Um, they're not cheap.
0: That sounds pretty cool. I don't know. I have guys out in Colorado that are like, I can cut an elk up. I'll come out and cut your cow up on your way.
1: Well, that, that, you, you just you know just string it up with a bale feeder. And well,
0: that's what they do with elves. A
1: bale bed.
2: We've, we've processed, a, we've done like a little party deal. We've processed a, you know, a hog on the farm yeah. that when we cook. And if it stays on the farm or if you, if you sell a live animal to somebody yeah. and they buy that live animal, sure they can go yeah. ahead and do that on the farm, yeah. but uh, you can't, uh, do can't it sell start it. selling those cuts. Right, right, no. right. I'm I, I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but right now that's the law of the land.
0: Yeah, so, for sure, for sure. Uh,
2: so, uh, no, we uh, and and why you know you we can do and, and that but it's okay to do birds.
0: Yeah. I'm that's, I mean, I didn't even think about going down that path. Why can't you do a bird just cause it's smaller than a cow? I don't know, but
2: there's probably a reason. I don't know if there's a good reason. There's, but there's definitely no there. good
0: reason. There's no good reason for any. of it. Now these. I will
2: also say this handling the birds is much easier than handling your know, beef carcass and the waste from it. Um, and, and, and that may very well be, you know, a big part of it too. So.
1: Well, you don't have to be a very big person to manhandle around a, if- six pound chicken but you got to be a big guy to manhandle around a beef carcass uh, even a even sm- even, even a, a quarter
2: small one yes even a small one so yeah
1: so sheep are we doing sheep anymore or is that I,
2: uh, I, I, No. I all the last the I sold some of the bread to use at least I ex- assumed they were bread and then uh, sold the feeder lambs uh, a year ago in December. And so we, we don't have the sheep anymore, but we do still have three very large uh, livestock guardian dogs, uh, two of which the girls raised from when they were very, very, very small. And so three dogs, guardian dogs is too many.
1: But They're, they're a little underemployed. Well, they make good yeah.
0: pets, too, and they're cute.
1: Well, they grow out of being
2: cute <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they, they're good dogs. So they, they probably chase the cars. If my neighbors are listening to that. They would disagree when they chase the cars like crazy. But anyway, they, uh, uh, I, I can't, ima- you know, the, the three are going to be here, you know, they'll die on the place yeah. yeah, and, uh, which, which is right. Yeah. They're
1: pretty easy keepers anyway, I imagine.
2: Well, you could feed a potload of cattle cheaper than you can feed these three big dogs.
3: Right? Well, yeah, they aren't, <laughs> cheap. they aren't
1: cheap to feed, but they are easy. They are easy to, I mean, I've,
0: I've had dogs, had a lot of dogs, and she's, she she drags crap around and she eats a lot of food, but she's not, she, but like Brian said, she's really trainable and she's yeah. smart. She's an easy keeper. She, she just jump
1: eats on a people.
2: lot. She, you know what? This is back to them being smart, too. Uh, first few times I saw this with these guardian dogs. I thought that daggum thing's, they had, and I think you and I, Tony, have uh, talked about that. They've had a dead animal. And I thought, well, they've killed a chicken.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll tell the story if you want to hear it.
2: And I think, you go ahead. I think the dogs, I think they they dispose of, if one of their, what they're guarding disappears or dies, I think they, they dispose of of what's left so it does not attract another varmint.
0: I, I agree completely. I've, I've heard it from another sheep person before I ever met you or had the dogs. I'd heard wind of it before. So what happened with us is uh, we'd, we'd been losing some animals, and I came outside one morning, and Lily's laying in the front yard chewing on a chicken. Obviously dead chicken, and I was like, "Well, why you can't eat the chicken? This is your job. You're supposed to guard the chickens. What the hell?" So I yelled at her. You know, I did. I was like, I yelled at her. I got onto her. I took the chicken and I hauled it off. And I was uh, so upset because because I was worried. I mean, I was going to have to get rid of her. Like, she's eating my chickens. What am I going to do? And I did. I called Kurt or I text Kurt, and I was like, "Lily's eating the chickens. What are we going to do?" You know? And and he said, "Well, are you sure she's eating the chickens?" And I said. Yeah, she was eating chickens. He said, are you sure the chicken wasn't dead already? And I thought, well, no, surely the chicken wasn't dead already. So the next day, we end up having a chicken come out of the coop, and it was injured when it came out of the coop. And it, it the chicken needed to be put down. I had gone out in my robe and let the animals out. The chicken came out, and it was kind of going around in circles in the yard. I needed to go inside and put some shoes on and get dressed so that I could take care of the chicken. And when I come back out, the chicken's nowhere to be found. I look all over the yard. The chicken is nowhere. I go back out a couple hours later and Lily has the chicken in the front yard. But it had been mutilated and mauled at some point somehow. So over the course of the next several days, I watched her. And I sat out in the yard and watched her lay around in the middle of the yard with chickens. Our other dogs would chase the chickens and run through them. Chickens would run around and she just laid there. Never once did she touch one of them. So what what we kind of found figured out or think happened is that there's definitely been a coyote and probably we have some Mississippi kites and we also have a couple owls that live where they come around during the day. We had the chicken that was hurt in the middle of the yard. It probably bird came down and got it and Lily hauled it off and was chewing it up. And she, she's had some really good meals lately. I think she's chased the coyote off probably a couple times and got the chicken from him. Um, but that's, that's absolutely what she's doing because she, she won't hurt him. She doesn't chase him. She doesn't play with him. She doesn't get after them ever. But as soon as there's one dead in the yard, she goes and gets it and she hauls it away from the house or right up to the front yard. So it's either a long ways from the house or right in front of the yard where we can see her with it and eats it and gets rid of it. And there's never any guts left. Yep.
1: Is that what they're supposed to do?
0: Makes sense to me.
2: I I think so. I think it's part of the 20,000 years of breeding that's in those animals that you know, I mean even like
0: afterbirth and things like that I would imagine that if there was a mess left even with cows to to help keep that mess cleaned up would keep predators away.
1: I've seen some of those stories that you know that livestock guardian dogs Pyrenees and Anatolians will go up like when they're with cows or when they're with sheep and goats that they'll that they will go take care of the afterbirth and clean things up, you know, and watch the mother.
2: Yeah. Now you're probably going to have somebody that knows far more about guardian dogs chime in.
1: I'm sure I'll get tons of hate (laughs) mail for it.
2: (laughs) and uh, and Let you know, everything that I've said is probably wrong.
0: Wrong or not. It's what we've experienced. I've been really surprised and and I've been really surprised watching her from the time we got her. We put her in with the chickens at night and they're not her people. We're her people. She stays on the front porch and she watches us, but she knows those chickens are ours.
2: If there's not stock around, um, I, I think you're right. The, the dogs, then your plan B is, you know, the people that take care of yep. them then are you know what they guard. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's why our dogs chase cars so bad. Is that we keep our our chickens run north of the road from where our, our house is, and I think the dogs recognize the road that runs in front of our house as part of what they're supposed to be guarding.
1: Yeah. And every car that comes through there is a threat
2: yep well all
0: night long every time lily hears a car when she hears a car because our house isn't too far from the road either it stirs her up too you
2: know you could be standing right by those dogs if you want them to do something or doing something you don't want to on a perfectly calm afternoon and you yell at them at the top of your lungs they'll act like they don't hear you Mm -hmm. (laughs) you could have a 30 mile an hour wind And a coon could fart a half mile away. Yep. (laughs) And they're barking.
0: It's been interesting because we we have Aussies. I mean, we've had Aussies for a long time. Brian had a healer when I met him, and I have a golden retriever. And in the past, I've had a uh, husky. And having Lily has been much more akin to having Sam, to having the healer, and to having the husky than it is to having the Aussies because they have a much more stubborn work dog type demeanor where my aussies are happy dopey people pleasers they're independent and they're definitely their own creature and they want they want to they want to do their job but they they have their own mind for sure it takes a different uh different kind of owner you have to be a stern leader with them
2: and, the, and you have to be smarter than a dog and i think that's my shortfall
0: well i mean
1: that's, that's usually my shortfall. probably falls. all of our shortfalls
0: with the dog most of the time and with cows
1: I,
2: uh, understand that
1: yeah do you want to talk about your cows
2: i love talking i we i love talking about cattle
1: we've been here for an hour and haven't even talked about your cows yet
2: we, we've hardly touched on them yet have we <clears throat> we uh uh we've got a cow calf operation and i've uh i do some custom grazing uh part of the the cow calf deal we we switched to a fall calving herd and uh we
1: Are you all fall or do you have any like spring summer cavers left?
2: I have spring and summer cavers when I buy something that has that might 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 cave in the spring or summer.
1: But you tr- you're transitioning everything to fall.
2: I I yes, I've transitioned to fall. So not I, on purpose. I I, I I fall on purpose, but if I'm uh from time to time there are wonderful buying opportunities to buy something that's bred to calve, you know in the spring and then that works real well to uh Uh, you'll get that calf off of her. And then depending on, that's kind of like your coupon. And then you can, you know, that's a, if you know the ranch, you know, that that female comes off of, um, you know, that, that works out real well then to hang that animal on the rail. Right. Or you put her in your, or I'll I'll slip her into the fall calving herd. So there's uh, some, some good buyback opportunities, you know, with the fall calving herd, I guess. So uh everything that that i have right now that's on purpose is you know for the fall calving yes and uh and plus that suits my fits my grazing the crop residues i can have enough you know quality forage in front of them in terms of uh a fall seeded annual with this goes back to the irrigation i can uh, that i can make sure i've got the right quality groceries to have them, so I can have a good breed back. Even turning the bull out in December, um, okay. And, and also, I don't have fifteen hundred pound cows. I have. Um, you've seen my cows; they're thousand, uh, 1,100 1, pounds, probably you know on the on the top side.
1: Well, I know exactly what bull you picked to put on them <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah,
2: on one <laughs> on, on one group of them, yes. Uh, anyway. Uh, uh, that that has worked real well for me and uh yeah you know, we used to cab when I first moved back we calved and started calving I remember, the 19th of January. I don't know why that date sticks in my head, but it does and, I don't know and we it's, did that for a couple of, and, I, and I'm like it's
1: cold in January like do you do you, do you, you know was, that
2: but by God that's what you, <laughs> that's what you
0: do That's what you did. I mean when I was even in high school, I remember that's what everybody did
2: and so then I I started moving it back to March and I thought, well, that's a little bit better. But, you know, you're still, and then I went ahead and moved back and we started, you know, when we were calving in the spring, I wouldn't start until the middle of April. And, uh, that was just that for the spring calving herd, that's a good time. I mean, uh, or, you know, may not too many calves will freeze to death in May. In our country,
1: not very often. I don't think I've ever seen even one freeze to death, or even heard of one freezing to death in May. Right? Maybe in June, but not in May.
2: <laughs> this May, this don't say that. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> it, this, this could be the year. Now, anyway, uh, um, so I moved back to Spring. That was that. That was me dabbling with doing things a little bit different, and uh, that was. Uh, the the moving to the fall calving actually had more to do with uh, opportunities with the direct market. If I was still if I wasn't doing any of the direct marketing, and I was just running, you know, cow calf, I would probably still be calving. The bulk of my calves would come in late April and May. Makes sense. Um, the The economics of hanging animals on the rail, and uh, you know, when those animals you know turn up open at prague check. And that, you know, if they turn up, so we, you know, now maybe we preg check in April and May, that's right at the start of when our, you know, green groceries are showing up, right. Those younger animals turn up open, they slide into the butcher beef deal and I'm not wintering be- them before I put them in the butcher beef deal. Right. They've turned up in April, May. And so, you know, they're, you know, they just get,
0: well, that makes uh, sense. They
2: just, yeah, you know, they get, they just get shifted into a different program and, uh, you know, it, everybody weans a calf or they, you know, find a different way to contribute, you know, dollars to the ranch in the bottom line.
0: That's a good way to look at it. And, Rather than everybody everybody makes a calf or everybody gets on the Jesus bus, everybody gets a calf or everybody finds another way to contribute.
2: Yes. So anyway, that's that was part of the economics going to the fall calving herd. And then also then you, you know, if you try to maintain your numbers, then you want to buy back something that's bred, you know. You know, some the guys that do like to calve in January, they have calves that freeze to death. And so, if, if there's also opportunities, if you don't have your enough home raised animals, you could go buy a two year old heifer that just lost a calf, and slide her into the butcher beef program too. Uh, you can usually get those bought, you know, pretty reasonable. Or a lot you, cheaper than you buy steer a lot of times. Or you could buy something that was bred out of sync for another ranch, and you could buy a heavy Springer you know, about that time, you know, and, and she might show up calving awfully early for your, you know, fall herd and you'll real, but it ends up being a pretty good buy. So,
1: and you only have to push those, you know, those spring summer, bred animals a couple of months down the fall, rather than trying to, rather than trying to get all the way through the dormant dry season on feed before you're trying to rebreed. Correct.
2: So anyway, that's, that's one of the pieces of the puzzle there. Um, Along with the cows, um, before we ever started direct marketing, uh, guy by the name of Lauren Graf used to be. Uh,
1: I remember kind of, Lauren.
2: Yeah, he is a good hand. He helped me get set up, you know, with rotational grazing. Uh,
0: I remember she, Lauren when he worked with Ruth Timmons. Still,
2: okay, <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> we 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 strung, uh, uh, you know. We, Ransom some water line A you know, a, wow, we're up to bike eight paddocks now. And,
1: um, back in the nineties, that was a good place to be.
2: Eight was better than four. Four is better than, than two. Right. So, uh, we've, I'm not sure what we have. I don't know that I could put a number on it now because we, we subdivide within the paddocks. And so the, the actual number of paddocks is kind of irrelevant, but,
1: uh, I, I know how that feels. I've been- uh, over 90 permanent paddocks and like after that it's just it doesn't matter
2: well i'm nowhere near that but i it's a different scale but I, anyway i have
1: to be three different herds it's kind of like three different ranches so
2: yep anyway uh so, so we started the rotation and uh you know and then you'll back to what i started talking about earlier you know, with the equipment when we started as we moved into the direct marketing uh, I started unloading uh, some of the farm equipment. You know, I used to do quite a bit of uh, swathing and baling too. And uh, so, some of those acre. When I discovered when we were subdividing the big pastures, a uh, light bulb went off when I started realizing. Also, when you started handling the cattle more, moving them, they started seeing you more than just when you're doing something to them. And all of a sudden, uh, disposition. Wasn't, you know, we're a lot better now than we were then, but we, you know, we, we started, I started seeing improvements, you know, handling the cattle more regularly. And I, I started paying attention to guys like, uh, I, I hate to mention too many names because I'll leave somebody out, but
1: uh, uh, I, I know how that feels too.
2: Early on, uh, anything that, you know, Walt Davis wrote, you know, I would, uh, uh, who made a trip to uh, Hutchinson, uh, visited uh, Ken King. I tell you, talk about a, a gold Jayco Farms. He's a very gracious individual. Super
1: cool guy. Yeah. Uh, he
2: is so willing to share his knowledge. Um, and it, it, his son's the same way. They're just his what's, what's his son's name?
1: Ben? Daniel. Daniel. I I'm pretty sure Daniel's on my list to get on the podcast. I just haven't seen that particular list in a while but yeah daniel king yes he, future guest on the ranching reboot podcast he would
2: be a good one. anyway he oh there uh the the late uh terry gompert i listened to him a uh, neighbor and i went out to uh uh colorado and listened to uh ian Mitchellines, and uh let's just say i hate to hate keep you know i'm gonna leave somebody there's a lot of uh, you you know more a lot more people. I pick brains now, but early on, you know, these were the people who really kind
1: of. Uh, Ten or fifteen years ago, it was pretty slim pickings.
2: Yes. Anyway, so I we, so I thought, well, what if we start you know grazing some of our farm ground? Besides, you know, the first step was uh, grazing the alf- dormant alfalfa in the winter time.
1: That that's almost heretical.
2: Well, then we. Well, what I would just, I just put the hot wire around, you know, a lot of it, and just turn them out, and uh, you know, I'd let them go for a while. Then they'd end up, I was hauling feed to them, you know, I was like well, that didn't last near as long as I thought it should. <laughs> should, and then uh, that advanced into more paddocks and rotating them a little bit, and then I. Uh, after listening and reading some of Greg Judy's stuff, I really started getting into thinking about I'm a, I'm a thick-headed, slow learner. I mean, thick, thick, thick-headed. And I, I learn very, very slow. It takes me a long time. I don't uh,
0: think that's true. I, I don't, <laughs> don't either. Think that's fair to say <laughs> about yourself, and I, I don't know your wife. Your wife might agree with that because she lives uh, with you. But you figured some things out here that a lot we, of people we, aren't even considering yet. <laughs> I,
2: we moved, so I moved into the uh, the higher density grazing, and uh, um, that really started opening my eyes up to what uh, uh, a number of you know. You get a certain level. You, Brian, you said before the magic starts to happen in the soil once you start getting above, you know, fifty thousand. I think you get up I'm, over a hundred thousand.
1: I think I said twenty five thousand pounds an acre. You
2: maybe you did. You probably did. I'm not.
1: Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's what I said because I I was there when I said it. <laughs>
0: That doesn't remember you. That doesn't mean you remember.
2: Well, when I tell the story, I say fifty, but I'm going to have to from now on. I'll say twenty-five. Fifty
1: thousand pounds an acre in our environment will drive things in a hurry. Yes,
2: Uh, my my daily moves. Okay, maybe where I got the fifty thousand is when I graze my winter stockpile. If I'm only moving once a day, I'm about fifty thousand.
1: I think that's about right.
2: I have found when I move twice a day and get up around a hundred thousand they would cons- i would have to give i could give them twenty or thirty percent less forage to get their get the same you know just by moving same. in one extra time yes um so i do I take that and go you know however many more times a day? well, maybe I could but um, I, there's also other things that I have to do and it wasn't always practical to move them you know twice a day uh, and then I ran into uh, the dry weather and, and calves not staying in and I needed to but I was, there was very little left on the stockpile I was on when I you know ran into the you know fencing issues and and moved the move the pears off of that this year and uh, anyway uh, we 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 progressed into the much higher density grazing. And I don't do that all the time. I'm, I don't know if targeted is the right word. If there's in certain places, I I think there's a lot
1: of words being floated around like targeted grazing or managed grazing that, that we're not all, we're not all speaking Uh, the same language. on.
2: Okay. Let me phrase it this way. It didn't always work for me to do it all the time in every place. Some places it works better than other places. I think that's so, another one of those, so those things
0: that people make a lot of assumptions of. We've talked about that when he was when he was doing a lot of grazing with the corianes to begin with, that people see you moving your cows every day or every two days and they think you're doing that with every animal you have every day on your whole place. And that's not feasible.
2: No. Um,
1: like there's a time in, there's a time of year where it works really well to move every day. And there's a time of year where you need to slow down. So you have enough rest for the rest of your paddocks. And I'll say this, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about Corianese and strip grays and in high stock density. I can't do that on the whole ranch. Like you've ridden around, you've ridden around it with me, Kurt, you know, it's rough. Like some of those canyons, you're just not going to, I'm not going to go down there with the polywire and come back up. I'm not going to do that four times a day. I'm just not that guy.
2: No, I, (laughs) I would be impressed if you could.
1: Yeah, I I'm not doing it though.
2: <laughs> now I, where I have done when I say uh, when I use the phrase targeted, I try when I do the higher density grazing, it's on the acres that I'll get the most bang for my buck, right? And where I'll get the most regrowth. That's usually on my my crop ground, the the better crop ground that uh, that I, depending on what's going to be growing next or if it's on my it's on my native range it's on the uh, sub-irrigated stuff that I know even in a dry year you're going to have it, some good production is the 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 production's going to be good and it makes and if I don't get a lot of that production knocked down it's it's not going to be I'm not going to get near the, the value use out of it and so I I'll knock it down and then I also get you better regrowth right and so uh, that's that's and my country is nowhere near as rough as yours, but there are certain places that it's just easier to turn them in there and let them be there for three to five days. You'll, edit, you'll lose your <clears> stock. And, and you also, you have to, uh, you'll look at what you have going on. You say, I have to do this, this, this on certain days, you know, I can stick them in this paddock and I, there's no, you'll, you'll, no doubt they'll have water.
1: Got to bring another set of 200 up to the pens Mm -hmm. and sort them and work the calves and work the cows. So you
0: have a basketball tournament or you have track at state track, you have kids, you have a family life. And when you have the ability to make plans like that, it definitely works better, especially when you don't have help.
2: There's a lot of pieces. There's always a lot of moving parts. That's exactly right. So I
1: think that's the nature of our business. It's like, sometimes I feel like a juggler that you're just trying to juggle all of these moving parts and all of these projects that have their own schedule that can change with no notice.
2: Yes. And like, like a lot of moving, you know, you know, a lot of, with a lot of moving parts, you have more opportunity for breakdown. And sometimes, you know, I, I remember working on equipment as a, as a kid, we needed, you know, a certain tool to fix, you know, a certain piece of machinery to fix the piece of machinery that broke down. You spend half the day getting the, the machinery you need to fix the other machine. After a while, you're like, now, what were we originally fixing? <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, sometimes life's like that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I I I've done that more than once. Like, it starts as a simple job. Every simple job on the farm or ranch is one oops or one ah crap away from three more trips to town and two more things you got to fix in order to do one simple little job that should take five minutes.
2: Uh, yeah, Roger that.
1: They always say, like, every job is one broken bolt away from being a weekend, you know, an all-weekend deal. Kind of one of those things.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so sometimes I look at a can of worms on the ranch. It's like 4 o'clock on a Friday. I'm like, it'll wait till Monday.
2: Yep. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yep. That's exactly right.
0: Well, I think that's kind of a, a big part of the puzzle that doesn't get talked about in our world a lot is the juggling of all pieces and how you do that and whether or not you have the ability to look at that mess on friday when you have a track meet to go to and say it'll wait till monday and to put it on to put it on the back burner and put your family and all of the things that may not seem like the top priority in the moment but really are in the long run ahead of that rat's nest
2: yep yeah and there are some things that have to be taken care of i mean If you've got cattle out on the road that doesn't wait, you probably better not let that wait. You don't get
0: to go to Uh, you don't get to go to a volleyball game instead of uh, getting cows off the highway. I
2: I don't know how many times I've you know turned around and you'll put the work clothes back on and gathered cattle and you'll fix fence and then went to do whatever. Yeah, Um, that's one of the and some it's sometimes that's not a management deal. That's just. You know, that's a deer knocking the fence down. That's that's
0: light. I mean, it's like That's not having a nine-to-five job.
2: Yeah. so
0: and I think that's part of your, you know, part of this part of working in ag in general. Your family gets to understand you can't be there for all of those things, and they appreciate it extra special when you are. And even when you aren't, sometimes they bring the flat version of you along when you can't make it. Yeah. <laughs> well.
2: Flat version doesn't eat near as much. That's I, I bet
0: the flat version of Kurt does not eat near as much.
1: Okay, so one of the two of you is going to have to tell our listeners what we're talking about when we're saying flat Kurt.
2: Flat Kurt. Well, there's been two different times that uh, I was supposed to go on a trip, and I uh, haven't been able to. The The first time a couple of years ago was over Christmas break. Andy and the girls and I were going to go down to Oklahoma City and do... We spent a few days down there. And uh, right about the time we were getting ready to leave, I had calves start getting sick. And I, and I, I mean, it was, I don't know how many calves I was doctoring today. And uh, I couldn't figure out what the problem was. Uh, but I was checking them two or th- three times a day. And it's, it's not one of those things. If it's just a matter of putting a bail out, you, know, you can ask the neighbor to come over and take care of the stock for a couple of days. But those type of things, I was not going to go four hours away and be able to relax.
1: Yeah, and I can understand that.
2: Luckily, um, uh, my bride understood that as well, uh, but uh, and the girls did too to some extent. They're like, "Well, we still want you to go, go along." So they printed out a picture of me. It was not life size. I'm not going. But close it's, enough. But it was it's awesome. Much, and they put it on a stick, and so they had Flat Kurt that they they carried along this picture. We're ice skating on, with him. That's the only way I'm going ice skating. Karen <laughs> 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 It was
3: uh, the
0: best thing. Like our whole entire community got to watch Kurt Flat Kurt go on this adventure with his family, and it was hilarious.
3: It was so great. so that
2: was that was the first step. Well. Flat Kurt didn't get thrown away. He got stuck in a closet somewhere. And then uh, uh, this fall, we were all supposed to go to uh, up to Manhattan to go to a K-State football game. And he had an Airbnb, you know, nice little deal set up, you know, close to the stadium, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Our daughter's up there.
1: We're going to have to do that. Maybe, maybe well, we'll just ride along with you. So we have a daughter up there, too, now. Oh, okay. I I, I thought you meant you were going to take flat Kurt along somewhere. Well, so. we'll take flat Kurt. <laughs> well, I mean, we could take flat Kurt. Uh, well, anyway, I... We uh, might just get a flat Kurt and a flat Brian and send them around the world. Then you and I can just never leave the ranch and stay with our cows.
2: Well, I uh had, had some... Uh, there's some medicine that I'm on that I had some uh, complications with that resulted in a uh, case of pancreatitis. And... That was miserable, and so this was right before we were getting ready to go up there. Oh, and uh, my uh, Andy and the girls were like, "Do you think you could still go along and just you know, my my diet for the next you know three or four days was going to consist of water and Jello, <laughs> and I am pretty sure and, and no alcohol." And so I thought,
1: doesn't sound like a, a, a terribly fun K State. <laughs> football weekend
2: <laughs> I, I i couldn't i couldn't picture myself uh yet, no no plus plus the uh, i was finally starting to get be able to get comfortable and tolerate the pain but i was i wasn't in a condition to travel anywhere and i i probably should have been in the hospital to start with but i crawled in the pickup and delivered a set of hogs to the processor but you're stubborn instead.
0: so you didn't go there right
2: not at first. <laughs> this is the main appointment and I stopped on the way home, but that's that's another another subject. Anyway, that was uh Flat Kirk made that trip. So I, I stayed home.
0: Your family's awesome. That's I just think that's the coolest thing. It well, was really I, cool to see them them do that and have fun and be able to include you even though you couldn't be
1: there. I I have a slightly relatable story that I can tell that I don't think I've ever told. Fire away. So it was just over twenty years ago. Um, I was in the Navy and I was leaving on my first deployment for the very first time. And my mother was getting married, remarried. And of course I can't go to the wedding because I'm, I'm, I'm on this med cruise. So about two months into this med cruise is when the wedding was and kind of similar to what they did for you. She printed out a life size, literal six foot tall version of me in black and white. And my cousin Mike took it upon himself that it was his job to make sure that flat Brian was in all of the family pictures. So in all of the, in all of the wedding pictures somewhere I'm hiding in the background or in the back row as flat Brian.
0: So, I didn't know this story. Yeah. I'm going to have to see some of these pictures.
1: Like I said, I didn't think I've ever told that story and maybe <laughs> not even in your presence, but yeah, you'll have to ask, ask mom for those pictures next time we're out there visiting.
2: Well, I, i uh you mentioned my family i I tell people I married a much better person than my wife did. she used to disagree with me, but not anymore she anymore she just says yes you did
1: i I'm on that bus like i'll 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 get a ticket on that bus with you buddy
2: yeah
0: on the bus that andy's much better than he is
1: no that he married a wife much better than uh than than his wife married i i don't i don't know how to say that wow, let's move on. Please. So, what kind of cows do you have? You need. You, we talked about it, but like,
2: uh, predominantly Angus. Um, okay. I'm not opposed to her. My my youngest daughter, she has four Hifers. She loves Herefords. Primarily, my growing up, we had Herefords. You know, growing that's what my grandpa bought years and years ago, uh, and we had those. And then Dad started crossbreeding in the uh, in the 80s. Um. The, frame size like everybody else, you know, way too big then then probably you know, back small. And
1: uh well, you probably started going back small before a lot of other people did.
2: Quite possibly. Um well and small now for a lot of other people is you know on the bigger side for me, so I guess that's a relative
1: term. Oh, what do you but, call them small? Like you said 9 well, to 11 is what you yeah, want a cow? Yes. I think that's I think that's a perfectly fine size for a Red Hills Range Cow is nine to eleven.
2: I, I it's it's a very doable size to, to get by on a given set of resources with minimal inputs and still produce a product that sells good in the commodity market.
1: So if you're if your cows are around eleven, nine to eleven, let's say, what are your steers on the rail?
2: I don't butcher a lot. We don't on our, our butcher beef deal, we don't butcher a lot of our steers. It's or, or, primarily heifers, but, uh, we, we can get the We can still hang about, a uh, 11 to 1200 pound animal on the rail. The steers that I, the steers that I have kept when you keep them and you get, uh, when they get just a little bit older, you know, you're, I can still hang a 12 or 1300 pound steer.
1: The heifers. Like around what? 26, 24, 26 months. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, probably every bit of 26 months, um, uh, less, less, certainly less than 30, but you know, probably right around 26, like you said, yes. Um, you know, in the, in the, when we were calving in April and May, you know, they'd be you know, two year olds in May and then you're hanging on the rail in you know, June, July, August, somewhere in there, depending on which, what kind of groceries they're coming off of. So yeah, about right about that 26 months, we are putting 1300 pounders on the rail. So. Okay. Um anyway I li- I do like the the butchering hef- heifers. You take a calf off of them or I mean if if they don't have a calf on them, you know a 2 to 3 year old animal uh, that does not have a calf nursing on her, she gets fat in a hurry.
1: Yeah. And uh on probably not much feed.
2: Yes, or or the, the 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 same set of resources that the cows are on in that time frame. Um, they can explode. Yes. So that's what works for us. Uh, anyway, Angus, uh, we have dabbled with, uh, uh, you know, a few other things, but uh, those, Angus in the, uh, with the touch of Hereford um, is what works well for us because size animal we have works good for the, the, the grass finishing but it's also something that sells well if we decide, you know, we don't want this set of animals. We won't take this set of cat these steer calves to the sale barn. They still sell good.
1: You won't get, get your throat do. torn out like I would.
2: Uh, no, we're, we're, we're marketing something that fits, you know, what the, what the commodity buyers want. So, and, and that's, uh, that's what works for us. That's, that's one of the lessons, you know, a lot of, you see a number of people that direct market and they want to raise, this is, a, you know, type of heritage breed, whatever, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. You know, if you can make that work for you and it takes tastes wonderful, have at it. But um, if it doesn't work for you and you have to sell it, you know, somewhere else, not everybody wants that animal. So you're either going to be hauling that thing a long ways or you're going to be selling it at a big discount. You know, if you have to market your what you don't want at a huge discount, you've just wiped out the premium you've made direct marketing. So, um,
1: and that's a good that's a good point. That's a good way to look at for,
2: it. For for us, we try to make sure everything works, and a commodity. Even though we are adding value, our backstop always has to be to make sure that it works on a commodity system because that's that's the floor that's set.
1: I agree,
0: because those are the tools you have right now, yes. basically, yes,
2: yeah, so
1: it's as much as we wish we could change the system, we still we can still use it to our advantage, we well, can you're still, still participate strained by it, really yeah. to a degree. we can want
2: to change the system, but we can't change economics, right so yes, and we can't change math
0: <laughs> definitely cannot change math
2: you know, one of my favorite things to cook on well I've got. Uh, oh gosh we start talking about cooking and cast iron and all that we'd be here another three hours that's my, okay my brother gave me a himalayan salt block a few years ago
3: i
0: have seen them
2: and i've i use mine on the grill you have to put it on right when you light the fire so that it heats up slowly you with the fire you can't put it on the on the real hot right away it has to heat up slowly Look, uh, scrape it off, and I'll just cook the meat right on that salt block. No seasoning. I'll, sometimes I'll put just a little bit of olive oil on it you know, to help sear it.
1: Okay, let let me get the mental picture. So you have this big slab of salt.
2: It's a looks like a like a cutting block. It's a, you know one. I I forget. There's a lot more than just the two of you. Anyway, it's a, oh about about basically one square foot. Okay, is what we'll call it. And it's just it's like a, a tile, ball. right? Yes, and it's okay. about uh, three inches thick. Wow, probably, uh, probably two and a half inches now because it's we've shaved some of it off, and uh, you put your, put the meat right on that salt block, and just cook it right on that block,
1: in the grill, on
2: the grill, sears on, on, it on, sears on, the grill. It, yes. on that because it gets yes. hot right. Yeah, and and all what I'll do is all I'll cook most of the time uh, pork pork chops are my favorite to do on it. Okay, um, and I'll. Uh, well, cook them on there, and then right at the tail end, um, y'all might pull them off and finish them up right over the fire, you know, to kind of sear them, and then then we'll take them in and chow down. And uh, I've tried, uh, oh, uh, we've got a good friend of the family that goes uh, salmon fishing in Alaska every year, and he sends us some Alaskan salmon, and that is exceptional done on the salt block. So...
0: I'd have to give that a try.
2: Yeah. We uh, cleaned some of our own bass out of our farm pond and a couple of catfish. Not so much.
3: <laughs> did, did they
1: taste like pond water? <laughs> they still
2: tasted like <laughs> pond water. <laughs>
1: so, so, I think so. that's probably why I don't like fish because I grew up. Did, I know. Eating some bass out of farm ponds. No, I know that's why not- I
0: don't. My mom told me she hated fish growing up. I hated fish because my dad fished all the time, and he would bring all these fish home and scale them all over the yard and then stink up the house with them. I never ate fish until I was pregnant. When I got pregnant with Krista, for some reason I wanted to eat fish, and then I started trying, like, ocean fish, and it's, a, it's totally different. It,
2: the Yeah. Uh, we're strictly back to being just strictly sport fishers, catch and release at our ponds. Yeah. So, uh, anyway –
1: We've been here for like over an hour and forty-five minutes. Can you believe that, Kurt?
2: I wondered how we would fill the time, and I, 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 I think we've hardly scratched the surface. Yeah,
0: of what I was going to say what, what we it, could
2: probably sit here another three hours if you could. But I don't think we can.
1: And we spent like two hours riding around, kind of talking about what we weren't going to talk about for and the podcast, and we haven't talked we, about we, any. We, of we it.
2: haven't talked about any of that yet. So, well, I was going to say, say what what have, have you yet.
0: what have you not touched on that's really important to you that you want.
2: What He's have I not bit. touched on? Oh I I told Brian he complimented that I brought a folder in by haven't even opened the thing up and looked in it <laughs> That's yet. something I would do.
1: He's the only person that's brought a folder.
0: Well it doesn't count if he doesn't use it.
2: Oh
1: but he brought one. <laughs>
2: um are we just about done then?
1: We can keep going. We want to keep okay. going. Yeah. Well.
0: No, like if there's something that it, I mean, we kind of go through I, your story. But well, I,
2: I told Brian there is one thing that I wanted to touch on. Um, we'll see how I can do getting through this. Um, a number of years ago, I discovered I, uh, I, I discovered how important mental health is in agriculture. I shouldn't say I discovered it; I probably always knew it, and it just didn't, you know, really really put two and two together but uh in um I wrote the years down because I forget in 2013 my youngest daughter and I were in a wreck in a pickup wreck I probably should have died but I didn't a semi hit the broadside of us and I had a severe concussion but I walked home went to the hospital went, went home from the hospital that night um about a a little over a year after that, um, Andy and the girls and I sat in our car on a Sunday and we watched our house burn to the ground.
1: Mm, that's rough.
2: There's better ways to spend a Sunday, I can assure you. There sure that. are. There sure are. Well, you'll, by God, you just, you keep on going. Yo, you know, you, you just hitch up your britches and you keep on going. Um, in retrospect, that was probably a mistake, you know, probably, you know, you just shove stuff, you'll be deep down inside and you just, um, keep on going because by God, that's what you do. Yeah. And, oh, a few years ago, I found myself in a really, really dark place. And I think a lot looking back those, uh, those two events, I think changed something inside of me. Um, as you might imagine. And I, uh, um, I, f- I-, I, found myself in this, it's really, really dark place. And luckily this goes back to what I said earlier. I married a very, uh, very good person. Uh, she knew I needed some help and I spent some time t- talking to the, the good people at the, uh, Iroquois center in Greensburg. um, and I started doing a, a few things, and I I realized I suffer from or uh, oh, I I fight a little bit of depression, and I uh, luckily mine was not is not you know severe. I'm not on any medication. Not that there's anything you know wrong with that if that's what one needs. But I was able to just start. It made me very aware, though, that too often in agriculture we we don't take. Time to take care of ourselves mentally. This is back to what we were talking about. You'll know, suck it up. Go going on or going on. You know, we don't step back and just it'll be there tomorrow. We 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 just we 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 don't. You'll know, reach out for help when we need it. Um, and the thing is, in our country, we are surrounded by people that love to help people. That's probably one of our country's, rural America's biggest assets is people love. They don't people don't like to admit that they need help themselves but they'll go help other people in a heartbeat and
1: anyway that I, that is one of the sad but unfortunate truths is yeah. we, like you'll never tell you'll if you ask somebody for help out here very very rarely will you get told no I Beca- and I think it's because we just have that block in our heads against asking for help that when we hear that request, it's such a novel thing. It's like, well, yeah, I'll do whatever I can to help you. I
3: I,
2: I wish everybody could the, you know, after our house burned um, that's one of the most humbling thing the the support, you know, complete strangers, you know, people change my up, life, you know, and- help helping you out. Um, I wish everybody could experience that without having to go through the shitty stuff, you know, to get, to get to that point, but that's not how it works. But anyway, that's, we, I, I, we made a few when I was in this little, I call it the dark spot, dark place. Anyway, I crawled back up out of it with a lot of help. Um, and, uh, it's amazing. When, uh, it, I call it the, uh, my house burned to the ground club. There's a lot of people that are in that club that you don't know it. It's a club. Nobody wants to be in, but once you're in it, you've got you're surrounded by a lot of good people. Um, the depression was the same way. There was a number of people that, uh, reached out to me. I made something somewhat public and said that I, you know, kind of, I fight this beast and it is a beast. Um, a number of people reached out and said, "You know, I fight the same." And there's three, four, five uh, guys that I uh, I talk to somewhat regularly that uh, I know have uh, fought the same beast. And
1: uh, I've struggled with depression on and off my whole life.
2: I don't know if it's an accountability club, but there's something about
0: it's a just, vulnerability club when you give when you give when you give the power of that anxiety the stress the depression and the aloneness away when you when you're not alone with it anymore it doesn't have the same power because yeah. you're not sitting there wondering anymore is everybody feeling this way am i alone feeling this way why am i feeling this way suddenly it's like oh wow it's not just me everybody else has felt this this is human and this too shall pass this is my emotions and I'm stronger than this. And you've, you've got to have people to remind you of that.
2: And I, you know, the doctor I was a with, he said, you need to find something to do. That's just you.
0: That's not work.
2: Well, I, it I, took, I, took me a while to get there, but I rediscovered how much I love fishing. And I've, I've been fishing. And then my, my youngest daughter has decided she likes to fish. She's a hell of a fisherman. She's, my, my grandpa, you know, was, a. this, that's another story I want to tell before we're done. Uh, my, my grandpa was, you know, quite the fisherman too. But anyway, I've, I've probably, I probably, you know, fished once or twice a year, you know, for the, the 10 or 15 years prior to the spring. Um, this year, uh, since spring, you know, if I didn't, once it warmed up, if I didn't fish once or twice a week, you know it was uh, you know uh, you know ann and I were going down to the pond that's, at least at least once a week or we were going somewhere that's, that's awesome so.
0: like as as a as a mom, not your person or anything but like that's that's a proud that's a proud thing to be able to see to to be able to spend that time as, with your family and-,
2: and we'd go down there and uh you know we'd we take the ranger down there and uh we just everything just stopped. And there was one afternoon we went down there, and Anna says, "says we've been down here what about an hour? We've been there for almost five hours." Oh wow! I mean, it just—I mean, the fish were biting is one of those. You were you just know, having it, a great it, time. Yeah, it's it's like why is it getting dark at like four o'clock?
0: <laughs> it, it's kind of warm and fuzzy for me to hear that. So My dad took me fishing. Actually, my dad took me fishing out at Brian's ranch years and years before I ever knew Brian or that Brian existed. And and my dad didn't drink, so a lot of times you hear people fishing and drinking, you know. But my memories around fishing have always been mom, me, and my dad doing stuff together. And so it's kind of nice to hear you and doing fishing things with your girls, and not just drinking fishing stories, I guess.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, my 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 grandpa, I mentioned he, he's uh, uh, he came home from uh, he was in Europe in World War One. He came home from Europe, and this is before he married my grandma. He went to Canada. He spent this winter in Canada trapping with a Norwegian.
0: Oh, cool.
2: And, uh, I mean, that's – you know, then, he, then, he, then I, I think he just had one last
0: – Like a sabbatical winter for himself I was, to go. He
2: probably just need to wind down after seeing God knows what yeah. over in Europe.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I bet so.
2: And uh, – you know, anyway, then he came back to the farm and, you know, the rest was history. Well, and then the, another deal, 1936, my dad was six years old and depression, dirty 30s, drought, all that. Nothing was growing. They We didn't have any cattle at the time, but, you know, Grandpa had a flock of sheep or herd of sheep, whichever it is, and hired some old guy. He'd trade it out if he, he could stay in the house. Yofi know, if he just took care of the sheep and grandpa knew how much money he was going to, you know, if he was going to stay on the farm and try to farm, the banker said, well, I'll loan you X amount of money. My grandpa borrowed the money, but instead of farming, they bought a new car and they loaded up the family and they left. They drove up. <laughs> they spent about 18 months. They, I, I, I don't know if it was over a year or not. Anyway, they just took off. They went up, yo, know, into uh I think they've somewhere close, you know, up through, you know, to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and then straight South, they saw the Grand Canyon and then eventually, you know, back to, back to protection. Oh, cool. And it, you know, back then they just, they just drove. And you know, <laughs> if they, when they wanted to eat, they would just stop and camp and then they'd fish and they'd, you would catch their food and your know, gas didn't cost me you know, hardly anything. And, uh,
1: three cents a gallon.
2: Uh, Grandpa had a, uh, camera and he uh he filmed a lot of that trip and a number of years ago oh wow uh, this is the same i sent you a copy of the diary he kept when he was in europe too i think
1: yeah that was an amazing read by the way thank you for sharing
2: uh he you know he anyway he logged took all these pictures of that that trip so the diary i just mentioned when my grandpa was in europe he uh he kept a diary in a few years i mean you can hardly read the writing a few years ago i had a cousin that uh Transpose that and, and put it all, wrote it all out so it's, it's actually readable. And then uh, to, to enhance it even more, he went to Google Maps. He, he, he kind of looked at the towns where he'd been, and he kind of pieced together a map that would have been a path of where – Oh, cool. a, a grand And a Grandpa was uh, – he was in the band. He, when they first signed – he'd never played the clarinet until he was in the Army. But they said uh, they're looking for volunteers to be in the band. And uh, he told Dad in later years that uh, he thought that was the safest way to go over. He knew he was going to go over there, but he thought he had the least chance of getting shot. Smart guy. <laughs> anyway.
1: Uh, Give me the choice to yeah, I'd I'd probably try to join the band too or the chorus. Or he,
2: he learned how to play the clarinet. So uh...
0: that's interesting. So did they? So is, is the the diary printed as a, it, a book now? Or
2: it, it's uh, he? It's on a, uh, it's you know, it, it's not really a a book, but it's uh, it printed out. Each of us kids. Uh, the cousins all have it, and then uh, I'd be happy to send you uh, a copy of it if you want. Yeah, would be really interesting,
0: my dad would get a huge kick out of that too, it's, for sure.
2: Uh, it it's fascinating. Yeah, I so. bet so. That's awesome. That's quite a rabbit trail we went down there, but uh, I guess it's a piece of the puzzle of why I, who I am today. I guess. Hate it. it's There's... all piece
0: about the all all pieces <laughs> of the puzzle. Um, anyway, I I appreciate you being as open and as vulnerable as you as you have been because I know that's not easy to share, but Every person that is able to share a little bit of a story like that, you know, you know that 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 somebody sharing their story helped you, and I know you know that, and it's just it compounds. So every time you're able to do that,
3: well, you're if I could somebody help
0: else.
2: somebody with that story, if I could choose somebody to help somebody with that story, or help somebody uh, with their grazing, I can assure you which story is more important. More important. Yeah.
0: Is there anything? after going through that experience and still, still dealing with that beast because it doesn't just go away, that you would want to share that you feel like would have been helpful for you to know five or six years ago that, I mean, in small communities, we don't talk about this. So how, how do we get people more willing to share?
2: Just know that there's more people out there that fight this beast than what you, what you do, what you, what you think. So
1: and, and honestly,
2: everybody's got a story. Um, uh, an old guy that, uh, I always had a tremendous amount of respect for told me one time, he said, you know, so you think you got it bad, just look around and then figure out who you want to trade places with. Uh, chances are it'll be nobody. So then you just, uh, get your chin up, put your best foot forward and keep on going. So that's good advice. Yep. Very
1: good advice. Probably great advice. We've gone past two hours. You want to keep going? Are you ready to end and go down to Legends and get a burger?
2: I'm ready to go get a burger.
1: Okay. Well, we're going to go down to Legends and eat some of their wonderful food here in Pratt. My friend Cody East is a uh, owner, owner of that place. Same guy that lets me use this awesome studio to record this wonderful episode in. So, Kurt, have we forgotten anything you need to talk about?
2: You know, I Wait. should probably mention... Uh, if you're in need of meat yeah yes you should probably
0: mention your website because. Yes,
2: Dale, dalefamilyfarms dot com okay
1: what can we get at dalefamilyfarms dot com
2: uh we offer grass finished beef uh variety almost any cut of the animal uh we have uh pork and we also have poultry chicken uh you can get whole chicken or you can get uh, chicken parts either one
0: and it's all okay. fabulous and our uh, freezer is full of it. I can vouch for we, that. We we can sell individual cuts. We our freezer fun. is
1: not full of their ground beef.
0: I talked to Andy yesterday. I okay. Talked to Andy yesterday. Oh. Yep. Okay. Right, but you guys deliver too, don't you?
1: Yes, we do. Do you ship?
2: No, we have dabbled with shipping. Right now the logistics for us aren't that good. Okay. There's But you guys are a pretty big
0: delivery circle.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you uh, circle, isn't the the (laughs) shape that I would describe, (laughs) but, uh, uh, we we go to the, uh, Southwest part of the state, uh, what you know, with liberal up to garden city and back, you know, stops in between with some variation from time to time. And we do that once a month. And we also, we call it a delivery trip to the East. There's, you know, Larna, great Bend hutchison area down to wichita and then back to protection uh and then once a quarter we will go all the way to the kansas city area uh that works because i've got family up there it that that one's a two-day trip we'll uh we'll go and we'll hit spots in be, from between here and there uh and then people meet at my brother's driveway and it's he always thinks that's cool that you know customers show up and he gets to visit with them and gets uh, to meet people You know, they show up at the little, you know, complex there where they live. And then, uh, you know, and then I head back and we make, you know, other stops on the way home. So. Very cool. We, the delivery does, it it works for, anyway, we, the delivery trips work for us. We decided that the, uh, if if we move enough product, the cost of, uh, you owning a van and the fuel is less than every now and then having to have stuff on sale at a big discount. And it, uh, it ties in, you know, it it keeps the product moving. Theoretically. I can can see that. So um, we, 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 we don't like to run sales because
1: I don't think I've ever seen you run a sale or offer a discount.
2: People often, and we're guilty of this too, you wait, you see something on sale, well, will just wait for it to go on sale.
3: Yep.
0: Well? You know, something that I I heard a really good piece of advice during this whole COVID thing, and uh, it it came from a small business owner and somebody who goes around and, and really makes it a point to spend their money at small businesses. A lot of local small businesses try really hard to offer those discounts, especially to their, you know, long-time customers. And this opened my eyes. I want to use the discount at Walmart. I want to use the discount at Dillon's. I don't want to use the discount at Ace Hardware. And I don't want to use the discount at your store. I want to spend my money at your store and not spend the damn money at Walmart. So, you know, I've made it a point to say thanks for the discount card, but you can keep that. I'll spend my money here. And, you know, it's Brian's Brian's itching to talk.
1: Well, I think Mike Calicrate almost said that verbatim. Uh, Like whatever that was, 34, 35, 30, whatever episode. I, I just know how it much ha- your product calculate. costs
0: and I budget for it. That's, that's all, that's all there is to it.
2: Well, we appreciate you for that.
0: You know, that's just how you look at it.
1: We, um, Mike says well, that he wants to pay full price because he wants to know that the people that work there are getting paid fair wage yeah. for the labor that they're doing and not, you know, that, 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 that company that's offering the discount card is not externalizing their cost. And externalizing, like Dollar General does. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, we, I we, spent. We've spent enough time yelling about Dollar General on this show.
0: <laughs> Mike okay. Calacrate spent enough time yelling about Dollar General for all of us.
1: Yeah, uh,
2: I won't go down that road either. No, we um, we're not trying to sell to everybody. Yeah, um, and you know what? No matter how cheap you, if that was your target. If I sold, if we said, you know what, we're selling everything for a dollar. There'll be somebody trying to talk you down to fifty is, cents.
0: That is an amazing, <laughs> amazing, amazing piece of advice for any business owner. Is that you are not, you're not going to be right for everybody, and if you try to please every customer, you're not going to please any of them.
2: And so we, we, um, what we try to offer is service and um, relationship. You know, a, a number of people, you are know, customers, you. you that have been, we have some that have been with us close to the fifteen years, um, you know we know you know we know their story and you would know, we've had some we've you know deliver their house we you, know, you give them a little extra special, and you know what the the, the piggly wiggly or dillons or whatever is not gonna. Go in and help you fill your freezer, you know, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Or find, like, I mean, Andy's come through town before and, and hollered at me to drop stuff off at my store because somebody in Medicine Lodge needed to pick something up and wasn't around. And you guys will go out of your way to find that person in that place to make sure people can get their food. If to, we need to. Yeah, it's yes. a huge deal.
2: Now, that being said, uh, when we do deliveries and we're on a set schedule. Don't make them sh- wait, We sure it. appreciate <laughs> if you're on time.
0: Yes, yes. <sighs> It's been, I, I, I've not been here. Hey, thanks for letting me do this today, guys. Kurt, this is the first time I've really been on a podcast, didn't you? Well, right? you know what? Me too. <laughs> well, it's not it's not produced in your
2: basement, though. No, Brian's not going to say, okay, that okay, no, that was a good practice. This one's for real.
1: <laughs> yeah, are you guys ready, really ready to do it now? We've just been warming up for two hours. I'm about ready to actually hit the ready, record set, button. Go. Ready, set, go. No, <laughs> yeah. seriously. It, it's been great, Tanya. Thank you for, uh, thanks for being here. Really appreciated you joining us for this episode, and we might have to do this again sometime.
0: Yeah, I'm glad I got to be here and visit with you too, Kurt.
1: Always appreciate your insight. Same with you. Brian,
2: thanks for having me. Once again, I'm thankful. I'm humbled that you would uh, think what I had to offer is worthwhile, so I appreciate that.
1: Kurt, I've always thought that what you've had to offer is worthwhile ever since I first met you.
2: (laughs) Oh, well, you're very kind.
1: Thanks for being here. It's been it's been a wonderful episode. It's been a great day. Uh it was a great day to spend with you and uh really appreciate you appreciate you as a neighbor. And with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off and we'll see y'all next week.